God's call of Abram. What are the details of God's covenant with Abram? And how does Abram display a life of faith and failure? We will look at the differences between tents and towers and the significance of the trees as Pastor Garrett and I jump into Genesis 12 and 13. Here we go. Hey, Pastor Garrett, how you doing today? I'm doing good on this time of our recording, cold and rainy day. Yeah, it's that time of year. I love the fall, though, and uh, so I'll take it. <laughs> we are uh, uh, digging deep into the book of Genesis. I am loving this. Yeah, I'm, I know. I'm loving our time together, uh, just opening up the Word of God and uh, discovering the truths that it has for us, and hopefully... Folks that are listening are enjoying it also. Yeah, it's been so much fun for me to be able to just dive in because it's amazing. The more time you spend in the Bible, the more you learn. That's kind of, it's crazy how it works like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I find myself learning stuff every time we go. These chapters I've read a bunch, but I find myself learning something new, new connections in the Bible, and it's really exciting. Yeah, and the more we point out things, the more that we highlight themes and and ideas and stuff, it seems like uh, they just jump off the page. Now, when you read and you're like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. I recognize that. I've seen that before. You can't read it the same. Once you see something, it's just now you can't not see it. Absolutely. You know. So today we're going to move into Genesis chapter 12. But before we do that, why don't you give us a little review of where we've been? Yeah. So we have um, been obviously moving through the beginning of Genesis, and we finished up last episode with Genesis 10 and 11 with the um, infamous Tower of Babel. We talked about how it was the height of rebellion, right? God said, fill the earth and, you know, with the image of God, and man said no and stopped in Babel. And they built that tower. God came down and judged their rebellion, dividing them by different languages. And then Genesis chapter number 10 showed us how the world got divided up based on that judgment. And then it jumped back to chapter 11 and picked up the line of Shem, and it eventually led us to a man named Abraham. Yeah, so uh, the very end of chapter 11, we'll just reset it a little bit because I think it's important as we go into 12 to see where we're at. Um, humanity has ran away from God and has moved east. We've established that theme, and now they're in Babylon and uh, out of Babylon, or the Bible calls it Ur of, Chalde- Ur of the Chaldeans, which is Babylon. God calls Abram and his family and chooses him and calls them out to leave behind that uh, area and to return back to the land of Canaan, and God's going to bless him and so forth. So you got Abram, you got his wife Sarai, and uh, you know the Bible establishes right from the beginning that she was barren. Yeah. And so um, this family is starting their journey back towards Canaan. We're going to dig into it here a little bit deeper, but before we do that... Why don't you set the historical time frame because we can kind of put some dates to this and and, and let people see kind of what's happening at this time. Yeah, it's uh, really interesting, uh, especially for somebody like me who likes to nerd out on this kind of stuff. But, um, you know, Genesis is divided into two main sections. Genesis 1 through 11 is kind of like the creation epic, the beginning, the primordial history, you know, of how the world was created. And then Genesis 12 through 50 focuses right on in into just Abram and his family, um, the patriarchs, you know, Abram, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Um, So with that, with Abram coming so many years after all the events of Genesis 11, 
we were actually able to find, you know, plausible date ranges for his life and the things that happened thereafter. Um, so the date range for Abram's life um, is given anywhere between 2100 and 1900 BC. So that's a long time ago. That's over 4,000 years ago um, from our time. Long time ago. And the the way that we were able to date this is because they're able to say there's about 645 years between Abram's life and the Exodus. They're fairly confident about that. So it really just determines on when you think the Exodus is. And some people think it is earlier, some think it's later. So it's the, he's lives between the range of 2100 and 1900 BC. Okay. And this is interesting because it is contemporary with some, at least one popular figure. Um, Perhaps you have heard of Hammurabi's Code. That's kind of popular. It's the beginning of all modern law. Yep. You know? Um, so Hammurabi I um, was the beginning of Babylon's dynasty, actually. And he lived right around 800 B.C. So Abraham comes just... A, or excuse me, 1800 B.C. Excuse me, 1800 B.C. And he comes... So Abram comes just a few hundred years and possibly even contemporary, depending on how long Abram's life actually overlapped with Hammurabi in Babylon. And we'll see here in a second how Abram and them are going to go to Egypt. And we actually know that that is the 12th um, dynasty in Egypt, in the Middle Kingdom. And it is most likely Pharaoh Senusret I. Pharaoh Senusret I, the 12th dynasty in Egypt. That's a lot of nerdy stuff, but it what it does is it puts the Bible in history. Well, and interesting enough, uh, Abram has, um, you know, contact and dealings with both Babylon and Egypt. And we're going to discover that here, called out of Babylon. And uh, at one point here in chapter 12, he's going to go to Egypt. So that kind of gives us some interesting uh, information about the setting, the historical setting of that time. Um, Chapter 11, we end with man's plans, Um, you know, Man is continually saying, let us, let us yeah. build. We're going to do this. We're going to make a name for ourselves." And now God narrows it down to one family, uh, the call of Abram. And it goes from man's plans down to God's plans. How about if I just read maybe the first couple verses of chapter 12, and then we'll, yeah. we'll just go from there. Uh, so it says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and all and in you all families of the earth shall be blessed. So this starts a... Uh, a part of what we would know as the Abrahamic covenant. Yeah. And God begins to make his, uh, you know, his promises. It's a, it's an unconditional unilateral covenant. It means Abraham really doesn't have any part in it. It's all what God's going to do. It's, it's all God. You know, what we see is the world devolved into sin and chaos in, in Genesis chapter 11. And out of that chaos, God chose God chose a polytheistic pagan yeah. named Abram. Yeah. Not a righteous man named Abram, a polytheistic pagan named Abram. Yeah. He Babylon, Chaldeans, that comes from a, a land of idolatry. Yeah. But uh, God 
speaks to him. God makes himself known to him somehow. Yeah, it's just his, it makes those of us who believe in the free will of humanity, it can make us feel a little uncomfortable when the Bible says God just chose. There was nothing Abram did. God just picked him. Yeah. And but and on Abraham's part, though, he responded. He Yeah, he did you respond. Know, yeah. He responded. He believed God. Right. And so uh, that's great there. You know, this uh, Ur of the Chaldeans, Babylon, full of idolatry, God tells him, go from your country. Uh, through Genesis 11, we see this idea of man continuing to move east. Mm-hmm. And we've established in previous podcasts that moving east is bad. Yeah. Whenever whenever they were driven from the presence of God, from the garden and so forth, everybody's moving east yeah. um, till they've got to Babylon now in the east. But from this point now, Abram turns and begins to re, uh, go back towards Canaan, which is moving west. So right there we get a picture of uh, that the story's changing yeah, from a, from a world that has really just turned away from God that now Abram and his descendants are going to start coming back towards God. Yeah, it's back toward God's abode, you know, kind of with, with the idea of Jerusalem in the background, kind of moving west is, is good. And the idea here that we just need to get right off the bat is you have to leave. You have to leave. You can't walk in the promise in Babylon. Yeah. You know, I mean, come on now. You could preach a hundred sermons off something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I may have. I don't know. But uh, absolutely. So Abram has to demonstrate his faith by following the command of God. God, uh, you know, again, let's kind of just reiterating this whole idea. In Genesis 11, they settled in the land of Shinar, which is Babylon. Yeah. Uh, the end of Genesis 11, he tells uh, Terah, Abram, Sarai, Lot, to they, they leave Babylon. They travel to Haran, which is just about halfway. Right. And again, the idea is halfway is not good enough. Right. We want to keep going. The Lord says to Abram to continue to go to the land that I'm going to show you, which is going to be Canaan. And so Abram continues by faith to trust God moving in that direction. Yeah. He's, he's going to leave. I mean, think about this in its historical context. You don't have the internet, you don't have cars, you don't have any of that stuff. So the area that you've lived or traveled is the area that you can walk comfortably. And think about no lights. If you're away from a city that doesn't have fire lit somewhere, it is extremely dark. So for this reason, people didn't leave their home country. People didn't trust outsiders because they didn't know anything about them. It was unsafe. So for God to tell Abram to get up and leave, that's a massive request. And it also shows massive faith, the fact that Abram did it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And God gives him this... uh promise. It's the plan of God. It was the covenant of God. He kind of just breaks it down into, I'll just give the kind of the broad categories. He gives them a promise of land, gives them a promise of descendants, gives them a promise of blessing or protection. And then he makes this statement that the whole earth is going to be blessed because of him. And that's probably a promise of a Messiah. Yeah. So we'll just kind of take these in, um, Well, we can just kind of take these little nuggets in order here. So he promises them a great nation, number one. Yeah. And we already read in chapter 11 that his wife is barren. Yeah. So it's kind of right away, it's a who you going to believe kind of a thing. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, you know, the life of faith uh, is in spite of circumstances. Yeah, definitely. And and we should never think that, you know, just because we're living in faith that we don't have to deal with hard times, problems, 
Yeah, the effect of sin. Absolutely. Because what is what is barrenness, and we'll see famine here in a second, it's a result of the curse of sin. Yeah. But even though Abraham's walking in faith, he still has to deal with some of the effects of sin. Yeah. kind of helps us see the why do bad things happen to good people type thing, you know? Like God's faith in God does not make us exempt from certain struggles. Right. And he promises him this land. And uh, that's which is a big idea uh, throughout the Bible that God's going yes. to give Israel this land. Matter of fact, up till this point, Israel has really—I'm talking about into this modern time yeah. that we're in today—Israel still hasn't fully inhabited the the full boundaries of the land that God has promised. Yeah, it, it hasn't. Um, as far as a physical Israel realm, it has not. It has not touched everywhere that. God said it would touch here. Yeah. Um, so there are implications for that moving forward, obviously. And and that's what a lot of, uh, you know, the millennial reign and things like that, are fulfillment, depending on how you view that, of some of these covenants, uh, especially this one here. Um, and then God says he's going to bless Abram, okay? And right here in the middle, we'll talk about this little phrase, right here in the middle, he says, and I'll make your name great. Yeah. I mean, that is a resounding contrast with what happened in Babel. Yeah. Babel said, we're going to build a tower, and we're going to make our name great. Yeah. And now here, God shows up and says, no, 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 I'll make your name great. Let us make a name for ourselves. Yeah. That's what Nimrod and uh, those at the tower in Babel did. But that that wasn't God's plan. So God says, how about this? How about I make your name great? I mean, that's that's the way to do it. I mean, it has to be. Cain Cain and Seth, I've got a man, God's appointed an offspring. Anything that God's going to do has to come from his plan, his work. Yeah. It can't be our work. Yeah. And then he tells them, and I'm going to bless you, and uh, I'll bless those that bless you. This is a great principle for us till today. Mm -hmm. I'll bless those that bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. It was a promise of blessing, of protection, um, because there's going to be a lot of enemies yeah, there will be a lot of a lot of enemies and a lot of people who are going to try to stop Abram's progress. But God puts this kind of patch of protection on Abram and saying, like, listen, I'm gonna be with you. The people that do you good, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch out for them. The people that come against you, I will fight for you, right? It's kind of this God being the avenger of Abram. I'm gonna be here and I'm gonna help you. Um, and one point I wanted to make on that uh, previous statement is God blessed Abram so that he could be a blessing to the world. Mm-hmm. This election of Abram was not because he loved Abram more than anyone else. It wasn't because he's going to eventually love Israel more than anybody else. It was because he needed someone to show his mercy and grace through. Yeah. To and through. Yeah. And it's the whole reason God says it over over and over, over and over again, through Israel, I'm going to show myself to the world. Yeah. You know, so it's kind of this thing of Israel's a vehicle to bless the world, just like you and I. The blessings we receive from our salvation, from the gifts of the Spirit, are used to impact the world. They're not just sit in our little huddle and do nothing with it. Yeah. I choose you so I can use you. Exactly. Not just so that we can sit around and say, look at all my blessings. I choose you so that I could use you. But then we see, we get a picture, you can almost pass over if you're not careful, but the very last part of verse number three, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We get a picture here and we get a glimpse of what God's ultimate plan is. It wasn't just to bless Abram, wasn't just to bless Israel. 
he had somebody else in his target in his yeah and it's growing up in the in the church or if you read the bible you get this idea of in the old testament god loved israel but then jesus came and now he loves all of us you know yeah. but we see right here from the beginning god's heart is for the world yeah the world genesis 10 and 11 god tried to work with the world at babel but babel the world rebelled so god said the only way i'm going to win the world is I've got to pick a people that I can show them my mercy through, right? Yeah. So God's heart has always been for the world. He is not in a private club to where it's only this ethnicity or that or whatever. God's heart has been for the world. And of course, I mean, Pastor Joe, what's what's been the climactic fulfillment of this worldwide blessing? It's Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. He's the. It's a messianic prophecy. The blessing that will come to the world is is talking about that. Uh, one that we saw way back at Genesis 3, the seed of the woman, the Messiah, the one that is going to kind of bring about the promises of God and and kind of get the world back uh, the way it needs to be. And all the families of the earth will be blessed. So that's a pretty inclusive statement. That lets us know that whosoever calls on the Lord, right, can be saved. It's not just a select few. It's not just a nation. It's not a small group. It's all the families of the earth. Everybody. And get this, the, the Bible comes alive when we can draw lines and connect, at least to me. When I read the Bible, it just comes alive. The inspiration of the Bible comes alive when we can draw lines and connect across books. Um, remember our last discussion, we talked a lot about Babel, and we connected it in a major way to Acts. Remember we talked about how yeah. the day of Pentecost was the ultimate reversal of Babel, Right. The nations were divided by tongues, but they were brought together under one tongue, right? Under the gift of the Spirit, the gift of tongues, right? Think about this. Through all you, through you, all the nations will be blessed. This comes right after the division of the nations. So we just see 10 and 11. The nations are now divided, and then Abram is given this promise. Through you, I'm going to bless all those people that rebelled. I mean, you're supposed to read it like that. Yeah. Through you, I'm going to bless all those nations that rebelled. So think about it. Jesus comes as the Jewish Messiah, okay, from Abraham. He comes as the Jewish Messiah, and then he dies, raises again, is ascended into heaven, okay? And now what happens in Acts? All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes, and all these people are united, right? The reversal of Babel, but what are they hearing? They're hearing the blessing. We hear the gospel preached in our nation, and Peter stands up and says, there's only one name under heaven where you can be saved. Anyone, whosoever, who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not that they all, that the gift of tongues allowed them to speak the same language. It's that now the blessing can be given to the nations, and the blessing is Jesus. Yeah, and, you know, chapter 11, um, the world was scattered. Languages were confused. These, uh, and this was a result of rebellion. And right away here in chapter 12, though the Lord's already... Got the plan. It, yeah. He hasn't rejected. He hasn't cast off the world. He's made a plan to redeem them. It's the whole that, book. That's the that's the mercies of God. That's the goodness of God. And he could have, you know, just said, I've wrote them off and we're done, done with them. But no, he said, No, Abraham, I'm gonna use you and all these people that have turned away, I'm gonna I'm gonna bless them with, you know. Yeah, exactly. With the Messiah. And so, so and so now we can kind of see how the same God who says this is the same God 
in a different form that's hanging on the cross that says, you know, Father, forgive them. Yeah. It's, it, you, you can see the, the, the parallels of grace and mercy, yeah. Yeah. you know, they connect really well. So then Abraham, or Abram, excuse me, uh, went and did as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. We'll come back to that here in a minute, but that's going to be an important thing here. Mm-hmm. Lot went with him. Abraham's 75 years old. He leaves Haran. He's got his wife with him, and they're traveling uh, through the land. They're arriving in the land of Canaan, and he passes through the land to a place called Shechem, to the oak of Morah, and... Uh, and uh, God then uh, speaks to him again and begins to promise this land to him and to his offspring. Yeah, and so I'll just give a little foreshadow here. The Oaks of Moray, um, it that's going to be important, not necessarily that place, but the idea of oak, okay? That word oak there is actually, in some of your Bibles, you may see a little footnote. It says terebinth, or what it means is like grove, like a natural grove. A natural garden is kind of what it means, okay? Yeah. It's, and it's you're going to find God showing up at these gardens, at these trees. So that that's important. Anytime you see something about a tree, that's going to be important in the future. Um, but then God shows up here, and He begins to speak to Abram here in the land of Shechem, and He kind of gives him kind of a another add-on, I guess you would, to the covenant of I'm going to give your offspring this land, the place that you're at right now. Yeah, He says I'm going to give you this land. And think about where he did this at. He did this at Shechem, okay? It can be so easy to read over names of places and things like that and think they're irrelevant. But the Bible is circular, kind of in nature. We see it like a famous one is the book of Judges, right? Israel's doing good, then they sin, captivity, repent, delivered. Good, sin. It's this whole thing again. It's circular. And the place of Shechem is the same thing. We see here God establishing the covenant of I'm going to be with you, I'm going to provide, and I'm going to give you the land, okay, at Shechem. But then if we look forward, um, I think it's uh, Genesis 34, 35, we see um, that Jacob and his family nearly ruin the whole promise at Shechem with the terrible decisions at Shechem. Yeah. And Jacob's saying, our name is terrible, and they're going to want to kill me, and, and the promise is in serious jeopardy at Shechem. But then as you read through the whole Torah, and you get to the end of the book of Joshua, just outside the Torah, Shechem is the place where the covenant is emphatically reaffirmed because it's at Shechem where Joshua stands up and says, choose you this day who you'll serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord on the banks of the Jordan River saying, we're going into the land and we're going to serve God in the land. At Shechem. It's just kind of like yeah. this complete circle. It's awesome. It is. And uh, how you can kind of follow that theme and that pattern. And, uh, you know, it happens quite often in the things of the Bible. Uh, promises are established and things are good. And then man kind of goes away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just yeah. like you talk about the circular. And then they return back again. Yeah. And it says that uh, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, your offspring, I'm going to give you this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Two things I see. First of all, the Lord appeared to him. Yeah, interesting. Isn't that, well, yeah, and you know what that means. It means it exactly what it says. Yeah. The Lord appeared to him. Yeah. That, that word appeared is used multiple times throughout Genesis 1. Uh, it talks about that uh, the firmament appeared out of the water. In other words, it was physically there. 
Yeah. It's the same idea that's used every time it says God saw that it was good. And God saw, it's this idea of it was really there. Yeah, it, it came into their sight. You could it, see it. It wasn't yeah. a, a dream. Yeah. It wasn't just a feeling. You know, it yeah. was uh, the Lord appeared to Abram. Now, I don't know what exactly fo- what form he may have taken and stuff, but this is an incredible encounter. Yeah. You know, an incredible encounter. And and uh, Abram's response is, I'm going to build an altar yeah. to the Lord. It's the very first altar that Abram builds. Yeah. it's. I mean, I mean, what what a response. I've seen God. I'm going to build an altar. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It, it's it's pretty incredible. And so this whole idea of altars um, is, is kind of an ongoing thing. We saw Noah built an altar to the Lord whenever he got off the ark. Uh, we see here uh, that Abram builds an altar to the Lord at Shechem. He'll build other altars to the Lord here as we go forward into the story. And so um, this is an important part of Abram's life. And it's really kind of this. When there's altars, things are good. Where there's no altars, things are bad. Yes. Can I get an amen from the church? (laughs) That's right. I mean, yeah, you can't abandon the altar, right? Yeah. And I mean, it's it's the truth. It's the truth. Whenever... uh, Things are good, you know. The altar is uh, an important part of our life. And can so I forth. Uh, can I throw in a little tidbit here? Do about it about the altar. You know, in the modern context, when you think of an altar, what do you think of? Maybe a place to kneel down, a place to pray. But that's done a little damage to us because you know when Noah, Abram, building an altar, an altar was not a place to pray; it was a place to die. Yeah, you can't. Ab- an altar is with something had to die on the altar. Every time you built it, you didn't just kneel down and pray. Something yeah. died. So it was when they were willing to sacrifice something out of their life. Paul puts it this way. Crucify the flesh. When they were willing to make a sacrifice of something, something had to die. It was a direct result of seeing God, right? It's good Absolutely. things happen when the flesh dies. Absolutely. And, you know, it's that picture of surrender. Yeah. You know, uh, giving into the plan of God. And, and that's what we see. When Abraham is surrendered to God's plan, things are going well. When he abandons God's plan and tries to take things into his own hands, there's no altar, there's no surrender, there's just problems. Exactly. And so we'll see that in a second. But look what it says. So you got the idea of altar is going to follow with Abraham, and then also you're going to have this idea of a tent. Um, and it says in verse 8, From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, and there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. So there's a lot contained right there in that verse. Yeah. Um, first of all, let's just continue with the altar theme there. He builds an altar with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. So that just kind of continues to tie into this theme that we're talking about, that east is bad, west is good, right? West is best, baby. That's, that's what, right. That's Go west, young man. <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, he, it's this idea of moving from east in the Babylon, west, back toward Israel, or to, you know, the promised land there. And the idea is this. You can't settle in Babylon. You have to move toward Bethel. Absolutely. Bethel's your goal, not Babylon. Bethel means the house of God, right? The presence of God is your goal, not Babylon. You can't settle for Babylon. Um, Historical background to this is when the Jews were released from Babylon to come back to the promised land, a large portion stayed in Babylon. 
yeah. know? And yeah. if they would have read this thing, this passage here, um, during that time, it would have been a glaring rebuke of, you can't settle in Babylon. Your mission is to get to Bethel, to the house of God. Yeah, absolutely. Matter of fact, it says it built the altar between Bethel and Ai. Bethel was on the west, right? West is good. Bethel means house of God. And Ai is east, and Ai means heap of ruins. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is where he's at. He's between uh, a heap of ruins and the house of God. Yeah. And he's got to make his choice. You know, you're going to go east, you're going to go west. And it says that he pitched his tent there. And so we get this idea now about Abram uh, that he's a tent dweller and uh, and that uh, he is a pilgrim, and that's what God wants for him. God right. doesn't want him to settle down to make this world his home. It is, again, a big contrast from chapter 11. This is such a... Uh, kind of a breaking point between chapter 11 and chapter 12. Chapter 11 there, let's build a city, let's build a tower, let's settle right here, let's make a name for ourselves. Permanence. Yeah. Yeah. And then in chapter 12, God says, no, let's not do that. Let's move. Let's leave Babylon. Let's uh, walk through the land. Yeah. And let's live in tents because this world is not your home, and I will bless you, and yeah. I'll take care of you, and so forth. It even says it in, in Hebrews. Let me just read it to you. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 9 and 10, talking about Abram. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking for a city that has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Yeah. That's an awesome verse. <laughs> that is that is tremendous. So he wasn't looking to build a city. He wasn't looking to uh, make his name great. He was looking for a city that was built by somebody else. Yeah. I mean, just think of the... I mean, the writer of Hebrews, clearly an immense knowledge of Genesis, okay? Because think about the contrast here. Go all the way back with us to chapters 3 and 4. You have Cain, right? Cain is, they were in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, and they get expelled from the Garden of e in Eden, and then Cain messes up, and he goes east, away from the presence of God, and he builds a city with his own hands. However, the inverse is happening with Abraham. Abraham is raised out in the world in the east, yet now he's coming back to the west, and he's not looking to build a city. He's looking for God's presence, a city that God's built. Yeah, well, this is the life of faith. This is the life of obese. This world's not our home, right? Yeah. This world's not right. our home. And, and the contrast continues, you know, with chapter 11. It's the contrast between the tower and the tent. Yeah. The tower and the tent. The tower of Babel, the tower says, let's make our name great. But the tent says, I'm going to trust God mm -hmm. and he will make my name great or bless or, you know, or lead. The tower says, let's settle and build our foundations in this world. But the tent says, this world's not my home. Yeah. I'm looking for a city whose foundations are made by God that's out of this world. Yeah. That's what God says to us, right? I mean, we're in this world, but we're not of it. And we're not to try to establish ourselves in this world. We're to continually keep our eyes looking for um, that place that God has for us. Yeah, exactly. You know, and let me just throw this little thing out. It's interesting in the New Testament, 
that uh, the Apostle Paul, of course, he was a missionary, uh, you know, establishing churches, building up the kingdom of God and stuff. But the Bible says he was a tent maker. Yeah. Isn't it? I just find that kind of interesting that in the spirit, he is trying to teach people your citizenship is not in this world. Yeah. Your citizenship is in heaven. Yeah, you're, you're in a new kingdom. And, and in the natural, he's a tent maker. Yeah. It's a much more uh, stable society in his day. Yeah. And he's making tents. I just think it's a great picture. You know what it's I mean? It's just a cool <laughs> literary connect of yeah. how, you know, it just connects. We're, we're, we're travelers in a foreign land, you know, as it says or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just, I think that's, I think that idea is really, really cool because it speaks about not putting your roots down in a failed place. Yeah. You know, Tower of Babel was permanent. I'm putting my roots down on this earth and I'm going to make this earth my home. Of course, we have to live in the world. We use money and we live in society and all that stuff, but I'm not going to put down roots here. Yeah. This is not going to be my home right now. Yeah. This this life is temporary and what uh, this world offers is not going to last. I'm living for something greater, something eternal. Yeah. And so forth. So everything seems to be going great. Um, Abraham has, um, you know, he's following the Lord. He's walking through the land. He's building altars. He's moving west. And then something happens. What happens there? Yeah, we get just a massive train wreck that happens right here. We get a famine hits the land. Okay. Um, if you remember Genesis 3, right, what was the curse on the on the woman, right? It's, you're going to have a child, right? It's going to hurt, and then you'll even be barren. They'll be difficult. It'll be hard to conceive. The curse for the man, the ground will, it's going to be difficult now. The ground's not just going to give it to you. So what are we seeing? Barrenness in the womb, and as Pastor Joe said, barrenness on the ground, right? Famine. Yeah. That's what we've run into here. And because of this famine, Abram decides to go south now, and he's going to go to Egypt. He's going to journey down to Egypt. It's interesting that Abram was in such fear for his life right after God just promised him protection. And I'm going to give you a son and all of these things. It's amazing how quickly he was able to forget. Yeah, it it just lets us know that a life of faith does not exclude famine. Right. Or does not exclude hard times or does not exclude difficult times. But but that God will provide in the famine. I think it's very clear that God didn't want him to go to Egypt. No. Just because famine came into the land, God wanted him to continue to trust him mm-hmm. and to walk the promised land. And God's able to, to bless in the famine. Oh, yeah. You know, but so now we see two of the key elements of God's promise in the Abrahamic covenant. One is, I'm going to give you land. The other one is, I'm going to give you descendants and and both of them are challenged by barrenness. Yeah. You know, so Sarah Sarai is barren and the land, in essence, is barren. Yeah. And so with all this barrenness, with this threat, the curse of sin is now challenging the blessings of God. Or let's flip it the other way. The curse of sin is already here, barrenness and famine. But now God is promising to break the curse for Abram. He said, I know the womb's been cursed, but I'm going to break it, and you're going to have a son. I know the land's been cursed, but I'm going to give you a land flowing with milk and honey that will grow for you. So God's promising to break the curse, yet in the midst of this, Abram makes a poor decision. Yeah, he goes to Egypt, and uh, what is Egypt? Egypt's a type of the world, 
right? Yeah, definitely. Canaan is a picture of the promise. Mm-hmm. It's you, later on, it's just called the promised land. Yeah. You know, and I like what you said there, the land flowing with milk and honey. That's about as big a contrast to a famine as you can picture. Exactly. You know? <laughs> uh, so Canaan's the land of promise, but Egypt is the land of problems. Yes, <laughs> always. And, uh, and there are a lot of problems. And so Abram travels down into Egypt, takes Sarai, takes Lot, takes his family down through there. And uh, things kind of unfold, and he has this encounter with with Pharaoh. Yeah, and we've already talked about the two of the effects of sin, the barrenness and the famine. But then we're going to see now the third one pop up. Remember the other curse on the woman is that, you know, your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you, right? And so now we're seeing here how Abram is going to kind of force Sarai to do something that is dangerous. He pretty much says, you need to tell him that you're my sister. That way, pretty much I can just give you to Pharaoh and he's not going to kill me. Yeah. Because I'm afraid that you're beautiful and they'll just kill me to take you. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and so what he does is he allows his wife to be put into Pharaoh's harem, into one of his concubines, harem just to use for Pharaoh's pleasure, all so that he can be safe. Yeah. Again, the Bible... Um, paints a very clear picture of people. It's, the Bible's not afraid to show even the patriarchs, even the what we consider great people, show their flaws, right, and their failures. And so, yeah. So he does this, and all of this is under the guise of protecting himself. When at the beginning, God said, "I'm going to be the one that's going to protect you." So we see a little bit of the literary um, things happening here too. Pharaoh, his princes look and they see that Sarah is beautiful. And what happens? Pharaoh looks, sees she's beautiful, takes her for herself. It's the look, see that it's good, take motif that Eve did right at the tree. Yeah. So, you know, this is some snake-like activity that is happening from Pharaoh here. Yeah, yeah. And he takes Sarai for himself, and she comes into his house. Um, And then God rains down plagues on Pharaoh, doesn't he? Yeah, absolutely. And I love that. The, how you pointed out the the picture of look and see and then take for yourself and uh, it it just starts to jump off the page at us now we see that same thing repeating and the life of faith has quickly become a life of disobedience for Abram and uh, and now his wife's in Pharaoh's house and God is going to uh, get Pharaoh's attention he's going to send plagues it sounds kind of familiar doesn't it. Uh, yes, it, 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 it kind of gives us a picture of something else that we see will happen. So what, what is that saying to us? Yeah, so the story of Sarai will go like this. Abram will give Sarai over to Egypt, and she'll be in Egypt uh, being abused or whatever in, in Pharaoh's harem. And then Ab- Abram will get wealthy from Egypt because of this, but then God sends plagues on Pharaoh. And then Pharaoh dismisses Sarai and Abram from Egypt with all of the wealth that they've accumulated. And this is a very clear foreshadowing of what God will do for Israel. They will come into Israel as invited guests, right? But they will quickly be abused, like Sarai will quickly be abused. And then God will send plagues, and then Pharaoh will dismiss them with all the wealth of Egypt. So it's kind of saying, it's kind of a foreshadow of what God will do for Sarai, I will do for her descendants. Exactly. It's it's a it is the same kind of a picture. Uh, they'll go to Egypt, 
go to Pharaoh, plagues on Pharaoh, return with great wealth. And uh, isn't it interesting how where where Abram's great wealth comes from? <laughs> he kind of yes, he kind of gets that wealth, and uh, but you know what? Wealth from Egypt is not always a good thing, is it? No, 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 no. And we're going to see that actually here as we continue on the story that Egypt's wealth will cause a problem. Yeah. So this story, this part of the story of Abram and Sarai going into Egypt, it is. Um, it's the complete opposite of a life of faith. And the thing that we see here is as soon as they go to Egypt, there's no more mention of altars. Nothing. He never builds an altar in Egypt. He's building altars before he goes. And we're going to see in the next chapter that when he comes back, he's building altars. But when we get off track, you know, and we try to take things in our own hands, our relationship with God suffers. We start living uh, for ourselves, trying to handle things ourselves. We start letting our flesh dictate yeah. how we do. Nothing good comes of that. No. And it not only affects us, can affect our family. Yes, it can, massively. can affect our family. You've got to be careful where you lead your family. Yes. Uh, those of you that are heads of houses... Men, husbands, moms, single moms, whoever you are, you got to be careful where you lead your family. If you take them into Egypt, it's going to be difficult to get Egypt out of the hearts of your family, out of your children. That's exactly right. I think that's a good segue into chapter 13. Yeah. As we move from that story, we move right into chapter 13, and it says, So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him, into the Negev. Yeah. So they move. So now they come out of Egypt, and now Lot, or excuse me, now Abram has all these possessions, and now Lot, the Bible says clearly, specifically, that Lot had many possessions, and they can't get along because they have so many possessions. So we see right away what Pastor Joe alluded to. Egypt's wealth is a problem, and this is an allusion also forward to what will happen. When Israel is freed from Egypt, they send them away with all the gold they can carry. But that wealth becomes a problem because guess what they do with it? They build a golden calf with the gold that was taken from Egypt. Listen, it's like when someone comes to a business and says, your money's no good here. Egypt's wealth is no good in Bethel. Egypt's money is no good in the promised land. Yeah, It only brings problems. Yeah, we got to be careful about striving to gain all that this world has to offer because it causes problems. You know, I understand we have to have income. We have to have finances. We're not talking about that, but when our trust and our faith and our desire is in the things of this world, right? It's just going to continue to cause us problems. And so lot returns from, excuse me, Abram returns from Egypt with lot. And, and I, said something about it when we first started this podcast, and we'll go back to it now, that Lot is with Abram through this journey. Yes. Uh, even though God tells him, I want you to separate from your country and your kindred and your father's house. I want you to separate from all of them, but he doesn't. He makes the mistake, uh, I think, that a lot of folks people make, is he's trying to bring Babylon along with him. Right. When he leaves Babylon, uh, he brings Lot with him. Uh, chapter 12, it starts off, separate from your kindred. It goes on to say, but then Lot went with him. Chapter 13, now it says, 
Lot is with him. So why is the Bible emphasizing Lot? <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, you can't bring Babylon into Bethel. That I mean, that's kind of where we're at here. You can't bring it into the promised land. And if you're reading, you know, there's a, you know, there's a little joke. It's kind of a dad joke, okay? You know, what is what does obedience to God cost you? A lot. You know, it's gonna <laughs> cost a, you a lot. That's a that was a lame joke. That but was a bad you'll never joke, forget it though. But yeah. I'll make a good sermon. That's right. It costs you a lot. Because when you're reading this, you know, think about it. You can't take things from Babylon into God's plan. If there are people that are reading this in the original context, they're in Babylon, okay? And they gotta realize that as they move back into the promised land, they're released, they can't bring Babylon with them into the promised land. Lot has to stay. And when you bring Lot, he causes problems. Yeah, it's the picture of the old life that's trying to hang on in our new life. It's the picture of the flesh that wants to battle against our faith. Um, You know, you say, well, there's no harm in bringing Lot with me. Well, it may seem that way to start out with, but then we see in verse number 8 of chapter 13, it's then Abram says to Lot, let there be no strife between me and you. Yeah, that's what happens. After a while, faith and flesh are going to, they're going to have some strife. They're going to conflict with each other. And you're going to have to choose one or the other. And Abram, thankfully, makes the right decision and he tells him, separate yourself from me. Yeah. This is a key point in Abram's walk with God because we're going to see as soon as Abram makes this choice, it's just really going to open the door for God to step in and say, all right, Abram. Now, yeah. Now I'm ready. I'm gonna, and now I'm gonna do what I promised I'd do. You finally kind of got your act together. You quit wandering through Egypt, and you quit trying right. to take things into your own hand, and you finally got separated from Lot. Now I'm gonna go ahead and bless you. Yeah, it's that final surrender. Abraham's finally able to do all that God has commanded him here, and he tells Lot, so he needs to go, and he needs to choose. And we see some interesting imagery here. When Lot gets the choice of what he wants to do. Yeah, Lot lifts up his eyes, and uh, and he sees the the land, which is known as the Sodom and Gomorrah, the Jordan Valley, and it looks to him very interesting. It looks like the garden of the Lord, and it looks like the land of Egypt. Yeah. What an interesting description that right. it says there. He's a, and I just hit this me hit me this way. He's equating the two. Yeah. The garden of the Lord is similar to Egypt. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, that's a great point, that that he thinks that Egypt looks like the garden of God. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we'll realize Egypt is not the garden of God. Yeah. So Abram took Lot to Egypt, but now he can't get Egypt out of Lot. Yeah. We need to hear that. Yes, we do. It, it needs to just... That just needs to set right there on our heart for just a second. You take your family to Egypt. It is very difficult to get Egypt back out of their heart. Because, listen, Abram will go on to become Abraham, and Sarai will become Sarah, and they will be the patriarch and matriarch of Israel, and they will be heroes of the faith. But we will see that Lot will devolve. Yeah. The rest of Lot's story is permanently marred by his trip to Egypt. Yeah. And then we see again, uh, this is just twice already in our study today, but we see that same picture of Lot looked, lifted up his eyes. He saw yeah, and he chose. 
You know, he looked at that the same thing as Eve. Yeah, same looked, thing as we saw Pharaoh just a minute ago. Mm-hmm. Looked and, and uh, he saw that it was good, and he took it. Yeah, he took it for himself, and he he moved down there. And it's actually interesting when he moved there. If you look at the end of verse ten, this is a little editorial note. It's kind of interesting. <laughs> it's like you're, it's like you're reading there, and you're reading along, and it says it looked like the garden of the Lord, the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zoar, and then it's like the editor pokes his head and whispers in your ear, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And then it goes back to the story. Yeah. It's like he pokes his head through the fourth wall, then lets you read again. Yeah. It's just interesting. Let's just know the, you know, there's a little bit of editorial notes that get dropped in here so that the reader can understand where things are at, you know? Yeah. Well, obviously this is written much after, after the yeah. story unfolds, so they already know what's going to happen to Sodom and Gomorrah. I think we can see it even back in chapter 12, whenever Abram built or pitched his tent between Bethel and Ai. Well, Bethel gets his name from the story from Jacob. Yeah, he calls it Bethel. It's not called that, right? Yeah, <laughs> later on, but but, you know... The, as they're writing this, they already know all these details, and so they just kind of plug it in. Exactly, exactly. And then it, if not, if it needed one more stamp that Lot is making a terrible choice, we see at the end it says, So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. east. He goes backwards. Yeah, that just screams at us, doesn't it? Yeah. Now, after we've put that emphasis on here, it just screams at us, Lot moves east. After... Abram has made this big uh, effort, or, you know, by faith, following the Lord, moving back west, Lot moves east. East is bad. Yeah, and Lot is going to pay big time for this. Um, but it all goes back to your point. Lot wanted something that looked like Egypt. I just It's just hard to get over that, because once he got a taste for Egypt, that's what Lot wanted. Yeah. You know, and it was it's really tragic, kind of. Yeah, and Lot then... You know, turns his eyes away from um, kind of the eternal picture, the eternal prize. You know, Abraham is looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. He's a pilgrim. He's a stranger. He's living in tents. But the Bible says there in verse number uh, 12 that Lot moved his tent as far as Sodom. And what he will do is he will give up his tent for a home. Yeah. Kind of give up that that idea of I'm just going to live in this world, but my eyes are looking for a different world. He gave right. up his tent for a home in Sodom. What a tragedy. What yeah. a what a tragic picture. It's a reversal. It's like right back to Babel. It's like Abraham chose the promise and Lot chose Babel. Yeah. He chose to settle down in the earth. And just in case we're not sure. <laughs> The author then, in verse 13, it says, Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. It's like the author can't scream it loud enough that this is a terrible decision. Yeah, bad move, <laughs> bad move. And, uh, and of course, we know, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah become infamous uh, for being wicked and, and, and against the Lord and so forth. It may have looked like Eden. It may have even looked like the Garden of God but it was more like Egypt and it was more like Babylon. Yes. And uh, it was the world, you know. It was. And that just kills me or it really hits me that 
He said, it looks like the garden of the Lord and it looks like Egypt. It, they look similar to him. You, he couldn't differentiate between the two. You know what? But man, from a distance, what it looks like from a distance is sure different mm-hmm. than what it is when you're in it. Exactly. Exactly. And, I mean, we, we would do well to understand that ourselves. What looks good from a distance is not always of God. What sounds good from a distance, <laughs> what you hear through 10 different people and it gets to you, it, you know, it's not always what it seems. You yeah. Know? That's why it's always good to choose the promise of God. Yeah. So Abraham and Lot, they get separated now, and uh, they go their different ways. And then it's like God, you know, says this, like, finally, finally. Yeah, finally. All right. And then it says in verse 14, the Lord says to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, it's just this, this note, finally got to where you need to be, lift up your eyes and look for the place where you are and at all the land, and I will give it to you. And he goes back into that kind of an I will, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to do this for you. I promise I'm going to bless you. You know, God finally seems to have Abraham where he wants him. Yes. Abram. It's the story of like the tale of two cities type of thing. It's as Lot chose evil, and he's pretty much going to pay for it. And now Abram has chosen the promise of God, and it's funny Lot looked with his own eyes and saw what looked good to his own eyes. That's what it says about Eve. She saw that it was good for food for her. I mean, it was her own eyes. Lot saw the Jordan Valley and saw that it was good for his own purposes. But then God directs Abram to look. Abram looked where God told him to look. He didn't look where his flesh wanted to look. Yeah. And he said, this is the place I'm going to give you. Yeah. So a couple of things I think about that. Obviously, to the natural, the Jordan Valley probably was well, well, it was well watered. It was green. Yeah. You know, we're talking about a a dry climate and maybe not so much green around there. Um, But, uh, and and Lot desired what appeared to be green. But Abraham looked with the eyes of faith. Yeah. Not just at the, the desert and the wilderness and the rocks and the sand or whatever it is, but he's looking at the promise of God. And again, we see almost a little bit of that 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 uh, picture of a saw, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and a desired. We've always seen it in the negative up till reversal. now. Yeah, we've always seen it in the negative up till now. Eve saw and it was bad. You know, Pharaoh saw and took Sarai. Lot saw and and went into Sodom. But now we see Abram. He and God tells him, "Lift up your eyes, see it." See yeah. the promise of God. See what I want to do for you. And it's almost like he's telling him, I want you to desire this. Yeah. And get the contrast. Lot looked, saw, and he took for himself. But God says, look, and I'll give. Yeah. It, that's the thing. Eve took for herself. But yeah. here God says, look, and I'll give. Yeah. And that's awesome. It's just, yeah. God was wanting him to desire Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Abram to desire to follow God. And he says, if you do, I'm just going to give it to you. And this is what the whole Abrahamic covenant is anyway. Yeah. You just, you know, you put your faith in me and I'm going to do it. I'll give, I'll bless. Right. I'll multiply, <laughs> you exactly. know, I'm going to bless the earth. I'm, you know, uh, it's so he, he reiterates it all again. I will do all this for you. Yeah. And it it's really a beautiful picture. And then it, 
you know, and then it kind of sets us up for the last few phrases of the chapter where it says, after all this, God gives them, says, I'll give it to you. And wherever you, well, I want to make one more comment here. It says, wherever you step, I will yes. give it to you. Yes. Wherever you walk. That's what he says here. Verse 17, arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land for I will give it to you. It was the gift of God was conditional here on Abram still obeying, still walking. Abram could not trade in his tent for a city. No. He couldn't trade it in. He had to keep the tent to get the promise. Yeah, and that's the the contrast between him and Lot. And it even says that there in in the last verse or two. And it says, and Abram moved his tent, moved his tent. You know, he didn't do like Lot and settled down in the city. Right. He didn't do like Nimrod and Babylon and, and try to establish a place. He moved his tent and walked the land. Exactly. And just kept kept believing God for the promise. Exactly, exactly. And, um, and then that moves us in here to the final phrases of this chapter, chapter 13. In verse 18, it says, So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. So we see it again, God speaking, and the, the instant reaction is build an altar. I mean, that's just the natural response to God showing up. Yeah, back on track, you know. Yeah, back on track. And uh, life in Egypt, no altar, bad, you know. Yes. Um, living in your tent, trusting God, following his voice, building altars, having a relationship with God, good. Yes. You know, and uh, what about that settling by the oaks of... Mom Ray. What about that? Yeah, so we made a comment earlier about how um, Abram was near the Oaks of Moray um, and how we said that that was going to be, you know, important. Those The word Oaks there is like the a grove, like a garden, okay? But it represents a tree. It's a, it's a garden of trees, okay? And God shows up at these trees. These, these trees are so important in the Bible when you see the word Oaks or a tree because they represent these little for lack of a better term, little portals, like heaven is on earth at this location. You know, it's like a little Mm -hmm. place to where you can be in heaven and earth at the same time. And God shows up. God is revealed at these trees. He makes himself visible at these trees. And it happens on a number of occasions. And it's interesting in the new Testament, Peter, when he refers to Jesus's death, he doesn't refer to it as the cross. Paul refers to it as the cross many times, but the more I think about it, Paul's audience was overwhelmingly Gentile, would have been unfamiliar with the Old Testament as a whole to some degree. Yeah, sure. Um, but the Jewish tradition that Hebrew, or excuse me, that Peter would have been primarily teaching in, they would have been extremely familiar with the Old Testament. So the idea of God showing up on trees or by trees is completely real to them. So when every time he says Jesus died, he says he died on a tree. Yeah. So what, is, what does that mean? That's not just a, because it's made out of wood. Peter's trying to say, in the Old Testament, God revealed himself to Abram on a tree or by a tree. That's where he showed up. And here, the ultimate revelation of God was hanging on a tree in front of us. Yeah. Jesus' ultimate revelation was hanging on the tree. Listen, you want to meet God, meet him at the tree. That's right. <laughs> that's where that's where we'll, that's where Abraham met him. That's, that's where, where he showed the world who God was, the yeah. ultimate appearance of God. Yeah. On the tree. Yeah. And that, 
I kind of want to throw this in here a little bit. It's a little looking forward, but the Oaks of Mamre are going to be the place where God gives blessing and where the God brings judgment. We're going to see that in the future. He shows up to bring blessing and judgment at the same tree, the Oaks of Mamre. It's the same place. And it's just a continued illusion of on the same tree, Jesus brought blessing, but also brought total judgment on sin yeah. on the same tree. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty amazing. Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. So it's an incredible, incredible turn of events uh, that take place starting in chapter 12, moving to 13, and going forward. God chooses Abram and the, the patriarchs and so forth. So we've covered these two chapters, Pastor Garrett. What's the point? Oh, boy. There's a, there's a lot we, uh, <laughs> we ran over here. Yeah. Um, but I think, there's, I think there's a few things. One, God chose Abram. God chose Abram with the world in mind. I think that's a good, a good idea to have is God chose a people, God initiated this plan with the world in mind. It was never about one people only. It was always about saving the world. Right. And I think that's super important. Yeah, I think God wants us to be like Abram as far as living in tents. Yeah. You know, not not physically, not actually go don't I'm not saying go sell your home and buy a tent, but it's the idea that this world is not our home. Right. That we're to keep our eyes on the Lord and uh, you know, Stay detached from this world. Don't desire the things of this world, but instead look upon the things of God and desire it. Yes. Uh, important takeaway, just because we walk in faith does not mean that we are exempt from feeling the effect of sin. Right? Abram walked in faith and was in a famine. Sarai walked in faith and was barren. Right? The effects of sin are still there. However, God promised to break the effect of sin for them yeah. if they would just obey. Yeah. And Egypt's not the place to go. Yeah, I think that that's important takeaway from this too. Uh, be careful to don't take your family to Egypt. Be careful what you allow in your life, in your family, in your children, in your loved ones. If you take them to Egypt and expose them to it, um, they'll long for it, just like Lot did. Yeah, and it'd be hard to get it out. And I think the ending note that we ended on just a little previously is is a great takeaway. Um, God's revelation on the tree. Yeah, it. I mean, it is. It is the blessing for humanity in the ultimate judgment of evil. Thank you for listening to this episode of the What's the Point Bible Podcast. What's the Point Bible Podcast is a ministry of LifePoint Church in Muncie, Indiana. Please leave a rating and a comment on this podcast. This helps us grow our audience to reach more people with this message. For information about this podcast, LifePoint Church or for ways to support this podcast, you can visit lpc.tv or download the LifePoint Church Muncie app. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.